Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. How many could use more than one miracle? Amen. Now, we're going to pray and we're going to prepare our hearts and our spirits for God's appointed time. But before we do this, um, I want to remind everybody, we've been doing a series on heaven. And, and as I've said so many times during this series, I've never, I, I, I'm a little embarrassed to say, and I, I, I say this every week, I've never really studied heaven before. And I've known it's there and, you know, streets of gold and pearly gates and Jesus and all the good stuff. But as I've studied it, it has changed the way I think in so many different ways. We've talked about um, angels in heaven. We've talked about seeing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven. We've talked about a new heaven, a new earth, and we're going to get into that a little bit more. But next week, I think, is the most important of them all. Because next week, I'm going to talk about seeing our family. In statistics that they have done with this one professor has studied over a thousand near-death experiences of people who went to heaven and came back. And they said of everyone they studied that besides Jesus, and we're going to talk about that, the things that people see first is 95% of who they see is family. 5% of who they see, the first moments in heaven, are friends. They see family that they know. They see family that they've heard about, great-grandparents. But as soon as they see them, they know them. And God forbid, God forbid, they see children just as they knew them before that child went to heaven. So I want to encourage you, don't miss next Sunday. If you're watching by stream, get people together because this is, and bring your hanky, bring your tissue. I told Tez, I I was, I was showing some of the tis i'm crying tis is crying and we're in the kitchen (laughs) but it just goes to show how wonderful our god is and it's he when you read these scriptures and you read what people have said it gives you such joy to know you will see your loved ones again and you know one of the questions we get when we're talking about heaven is how old will we be And um, I'm going to show you some things that's pretty amazing, pretty amazing. A lot of people go to heaven, they see their child. Was that child a child? Why is that child still a child? Some of them see, um, at first, their grandparents just like they remembered them. But then the grandparents seem to grow younger. So I'm going to explain all of that. Why, why do some people have this experience and some people have that experience and they come back and they share different. I'm going to share why that is. It's an amazing thing. But th- this will probably be the most joyous 
message I've ever preached in 40-something years of ministry, seeing our family, our loved ones, and our friends in heaven. Heaven's going to be an amazing place. Amen? Now, after we go through the heavens teaching, uh, and we'll probably do that another two, three weeks maybe, then we get into Passover. And Passover is, every year Passover and Resurrection Sunday is maybe the most important time of the year. But I think this Passover and this resurrection is probably the most important ones we've ever faced, seeing how our world is changing. And I'm going to give you some answers of what's going on. And after that, God has laid on my heart to do another prophetic series on the characteristics of the tribulation. What we'll see, what, it, what happens in detail during the tribulation. One world government, one world religious system, one world economy. And, and I'll tell you the reason why. Marcus Lamb called me the other day and he said, have you heard anything about this in Israel? So I got a hold of some friends of mine in Israel. And it's not just Israel, it's happening all over the world. And they said, yes, this is happening. You know, one of the signs of the tribulation is the government is going to make you take the mark of the beast. That's one of the signs. And in Israel right now and many other countries, is it, is it getting dark in here? Did it just get darker in here? Or am I going blind? I, I, I like it light in here, guys. Let there be light. But uh, so Marcus called me, he said, have you heard of this? And so I called some friends of mine in Israel and they said, yes, this is happening. Israel got bombarded with COVID. I mean, it just it just got hammered with COVID. And uh, so they're they're getting the vaccine out as fast as they can. I think 85 percent of the country always has already has a vaccine. But they're giving out cards now that you can't go into public places restaurants, movie theaters, places to buy things. You can't go in unless you have a card saying that you've had the vaccine. Now, I believe this is a birth pang of the mark of the beast where you can't buy or sell. And, and remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen. But a power, love, and a sound mind. But I want you to, and, and, you know, I thought, well, I'm done with the prophecy series. We're just going to go on with these other things that God's telling me to, to teach on. And, you know, I'm gonna, I've got a series percolating in me on the spirit of isolation. The first thing, now, I want you to think about, be, the Bible says, beware of the strategies of the devil. If the devil was running for president and he had horns and a red suit on and a pitch, uh, a pointed tail and a pitchfork, we'd go, I'm not voting for him. But the devil comes in looking like a person. Amen. The first thing in the Bible that God says is not good. Now think about the strategies of the devil. I've got all this percolating in my spirit. Think about the strategies of the devil. What is the strategy of the devil? He's not just coming in and saying, worship me. No, he comes in with a subtle strategy. And things have been really changed since January, right? Think of the strategies of the devil. The first thing in the Bible 
the first thing in God's word. And remember, you remember what an avos is, an avot? It's the birthing of something. Everything follows the birthing of that. What's the first thing in the Bible? Somebody tell me. What's the first thing in the Bible God says is not good? It's not good that you're alone. Now, I want you to think about this. Because we're going to get to the point. Some of you that are watching by stream are around the world. Some of you are watching by stream are in Texas. You need to be in church. Because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You know, I was talking to my my dentist, and my dentist is a a wonderful Christian man. He's been my dentist for uh, 18 years or so. And I said, are you guys back in church? He said, well, he lives in another part of the, the city. He lives out in Rockwall. He's a great guy, great Christian guy. And he said to me, he said, you know, we're kind of used to now sitting around the kitchen table. And you think, well, uh, you know, I, I get as much by stream as I do by being there. No, you don't. Think about Adam. Adam was having a direct, the only one. Having a direct conversation daily, moment by moment with God. And God says, it's not good that you're alone. And so think about the strategies of the devil. You know, the devil started separating us by internet. You, no, you need one on, you need people. Come on. And then we gone from the internet to COVID isolation. And of course, you can meet in Vegas and gamble. You just can't go to church. Now think about the strategies of the devil. Well, I just need me and God and we can... No, no, no. You need people. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Think about this. The Bible says, if there's any of you sick, let them do what? Call for the elders. Where are the elders? In church and lay and anoint, have them anoint with oil. Lay hands on the sick. And, and God spoke this to me. Listen to me. God spoke this to me. And he said, the reason why I have you lay hands on the sick, God, we could pray and say, God, heal me. And God would heal. And he does that. But why does he say lay hands on the sick? Because when you're going through something and someone is caring for you and someone is making contact with you, that's why this whole thing of social distancing, man, we need to stay away from each other. It is a strategy of the devil. We need to do it until we don't have to do it, but it is a strategy of the devil. There's something about if I'm not feeling good or I'm going through something and all of a sudden some people are laying hands on me and calling on God. I know that I'm not in this alone. Listen, we need each other. Don't let the devil do. Well, I'm I'm preaching my whole series right here. The spirit of isolation. When people are isolated from each other, God does some of his greatest works through people. Can I have an amen? amen. And, and, and I'll, go, I'll, I'll hit on this series. And if you're only with you, you usually go nuts. You usually start thinking that you need to be around. Iron sharp. Iron, anyway. 
prof, the prophecy, it, prophecy series is not doom and gloom. Our best is yet to come. But we need to be aware of what the enemy's doing so we can do what God's doing. Amen? Let's go before the Lord. Lift your hands up. Take your neighbor's hand in spirit, not in truth. Father, right now, we give you praise and glory. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of meeting together. We thank you. Look at me right now. There's going to come a time. There's going to come a time that they're going to try to shut the church down. Get out while you can get out. I mean, and I, I believe, you know, the, the, the characters of the tribulation. Here's what, what part of wailing and gnashing of teeth is good? We want to miss this. We want to make the rapture. Amen. Father, give me an anointing as I teach your word. Give us an anointing to hear your word and give us an anointing to do what you tell us to do. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus mighty name. And all God's people shouted, give the Lord a clap offering one more time. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. I want to ask you to open your Bibles up. This morning, obviously, since we're in the celebration of Purim, I want you to open your Bibles up to the book of Esther chapter 9. Now, many of you know this, but what you've got to, you have to be patient with me. Because not only are we teaching you, and some of you have been with me for a long, long, long time, and so you know these things. But you've got to understand is that we have new people with us via stream by the thousands every week and they don't know a lot of things that we know but even if we know them sometimes we need to be reminded so we don't miss what God is saying to us you know the great football coach Vince Lombardi was the coach of the Green Bay Packers and they won the Super Bowl a couple times and one day they were just having a they were just terrible. They were stinking up the field. And Coach Lombardi brings them all into the locker room. He sits them down. Now, these are Super Bowl champions. And he grabs a football and he says, this is a football. And they looked at him like he goes, we got to start back at square one to get to where we're going. And sometimes we need to hear things over again. The Bible says, and grab a hold of this, I know, because you've heard, we hear it so many times, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. The Bible says, is there not an appointed time? Is there not, is there not an appointed time? Now, most Christians, to be honest with you, do not know about God's appointed times. I'm going to be teaching tonight on Daystar on on um, Purim and Passover. We know that every year we celebrate Purim, we celebrate Passover, we celebrate Rosh Hashanah, we celebrate Yom Kippur, we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, we celebrate Good Friday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, Resurrection Sunday. We know that every year, on God's calendar. And the reason he does this is so that we go, wow, this is happening right now. That on God's calendar, there are exactly the same time, there are God's appointments with us. 
Now, I say this over and over again. God is God 24-7. God is the God of miracles, and God is the God of prosperity, and God is the God of, of, of defeating the enemy, and God is the God of opening the windows of heaven. God is God 24-7. Every moment of every day, God is God. But on certain times of the year, the power of God is greater at that time than the whole rest of the year. That's why the scripture, and we'll, and we'll repeat this come Passover. The Lord says, call upon me while I am near. Well, Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So what does he mean, call upon him when he's near? On these appointed times, in Hebrew it's called a moedim. On these appointed times, it's the same God, but he's closer. Which means his strength is closer, his power is... Oh, I feel better being down here. His anointing is closer, his prosperity is closer, his miracles are closer. And so he gives us, why? He's such a loving God and such a wonderful God. He gives us these times on the calendar every year. We'll see on Passover, there are three main blessings of Passover. We'll see on Pentecost or Shavuot, there's a main blessing. We'll see on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, God is doing certain things. Now he does that every moment of every year, but they're more powerful then. But this year, with what is going on in the world, we need to take a closer look at Purim. We need to take a closer look at Passover and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because the power of God this year in Purim, what we're going to teach this morning, in Passover, in, in Pentecost, in Feast of Tabernacles, this year the power of God is greater. Is there not an appointed time? Every year there's a Purim. But this year there is an appointment of an appointment on Purim. An appointment of an appointment on Passover. Because this year, these things are going to be stronger and greater than ever before. That's the reason for the birth pangs. That's the reason why we need to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And we need to know that God is getting ready to do things that he normally does on Purim, but they're going to be greater than ever before. Because during these times, during these times, listen to me prophetically. During these times, God wants to use my life and your life as an example of the power and the anointing and the favor and the blessing of Almighty God for us who are standing firm, who are loving Israel, who are loving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, not letting them steal God out of our country, but we're standing firm. God always has a remnant of people that will stand firm. And when that remnant, it may not be a huge army. It may be, you know, uh, one of the strategies of the devil is, you know, somebody said to me, you know, what does it matter anymore? When you've done all the stand, stand. And when you stand, he's going to stand with you. And when God has that remnant of people that stands for the kingdom of God, that stands for righteousness, that stands for 
for morals, that stands for what the Bible says, that stands for Israel, that stands with each other, that remnant always sees a special. There's a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's a David, and the Goliath is going down. This is going to be special, and we need to understand, every year there's appointed times, but this year, these appointed times are going to have a double portion, and God is going to show himself strong. Somebody say amen. Now, just to give you a little background, the book of Esther, when the sages and the prophets, and the book of Esther is where we get Purim. The word Purim means the casting of of lots, the rolling of dice, and we'll show you that. But the book of Esther, when the sages and the prophets got together to put the whole Bible together before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they almost left the book of Esther out. And the reason they almost left it out is because, as many of you know, the book of Esther is the only book in the whole Bible that does not mention God one time. And so they're looking at this and they're thinking, well, this is a great story of the deliverance of God's people, but God's name, God's presence is not seen. In Hebrew... It's called Hester Panim, and that means the hidden face of God. That when you don't, and the reason why this is here, and the reason why Purim is an appointed time, and I think in, in all the years that I've known the Lord, all the years that I've been alive, all the years that I've been an American, I cannot remember a time when we've wanted to say, <laughs> God, where are you? What's going on around us? But not only in America, around the world. You know, when you think about the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, and we're going to get in that in that series, you think, well, you know, we've been talking about the mark of the beast and the Christ. I've been hearing about since I gave my life to Christ. And now all of a sudden we're seeing the possibility of that. Look how things have changed since January 20th. We got a transvestite leading in government. You know, we thought as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah was when we were coming out of being hippies. Now we've got bills being passed where the government wants to help pay for your child to have a sex change operation because they're feeling feminine that day. That's why we're going to do this prophecy series again. Because since I did one uh, two months ago, or ended two months ago, look how much our world has changed. I hope you didn't vote for that way. If you did, at the end of the service, we're going to have time to repent. We look at the book of Esther, and when you look at the story of Esther, the impossible situation of the Jewish people, God doesn't seem to be anywhere. But when you look at the story, when you look at the situation, and you go, this is horrible. How could God let this happen? But that was part of God's plan to get us there. 
And you look at that next one and go, oh my gosh, it's even worse than this one. But that was God's plan to get us here. And the reason why we take time every year to study the book of Esther, to read it, to understand the story of Purim, is to let every one of us know, to remember, we know it, but to remember, when everything seems to be going wrong, God is working behind the scene. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of who? Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Esther was called. You and I are called. And when we do what God has called us to do, when it seems like what in the world is going on? Where is God? He's there. But he's working behind the scenes so that we understand no matter what we see, no matter what we feel, greater is he that's in us than anything that can come against us. Read with me in the book of Esther, chapter 9, starting with verse 17. Now, this was the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th day of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day, as well as on the 14th day. And on the 15th day of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day of gladness and feasting, a holiday, and for sending presents to one another. And Mordecai wrote all these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the providence of King Asherus, both near and far to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and the 15th days of the month of Adar, as the days in which the Jews had rest from their enemies, as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them, and from mourning to a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the custom that they had begun as Mordecai had written them, because Haman, that's the enemy of God, the son of Amadeltha, the Agite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast pur, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head. This is where we get the term Haman's noose. And that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim after the name Pur, that therefore because of the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them. The Jews established and imposed upon themselves and their descendants all and all who would join them, that's us, 
that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed times. Now, as we get into the story of Esther, I want you to remember that right now we are in what's called on the Hebrew calendar the month of Adar. The month of Adar is in Hebrew the beginning month of unlimited joy. That this month, as the enemy has been attacking, God comes in, turns your story upside down, and we enter into the beginning for the rest of the year of unlimited joy. The rabbis teach concerning the month of Adar, it says we don't have the ability to even imagine what God is doing for us right now. We can only enter into it with joy. Now, let me stop right there. And usually I just go on, but let me stop right there. During this time when we've got the COVID and we've got the economic crisis and we've got all these things, let's make sure we talk and we fellowship and we focus on the promises of God, not on what the devil's doing. Amen. Put a guard on your mouth. Rejoice in the Lord always, because here's what we can't even imagine what God is doing for us right now. We, we can't imagine it. But the only way we can enter into that is with joy. So I think it's real important that when we come to church, we lift up our hands, we celebrate, we praise God. I, I'm just going to throw this in a, a, as a side note. It, uh, faith doesn't mean we're not going through something. Faith means we're going through something. Amen? Yea, though I walk through the valley. And, and I'm just going to tell you this. People ask all the time, you know, how did you guys get through Lion's deal? And how did you get through Tiz's deal? And one of the things is, is that we kept our joy. Now, you, you, you got to cast down imaginations that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. But you got to talk joy. When you, when you don't feel it, sometimes you got to fake it. But out of your mouth comes creation you got to talk about we tis and i when they said tis had three months left we would talk about what we're going to do when she gets out of her treatment and we're going to go to california and we're going to drive the coast up to portland and see ed and cheryl well not ed but cheryl we'll see cheryl (laughs) we would talk about positive reports we would create our destiny so during this time you can only enter into what god is doing through praise and thanksgiving. Make sure we're joyous. Can I have an amen? amen? Now, let me tell the story real quick of Hester Panim, the hidden face of God. Israel has gone into Babylonian captivity. And I'm, I'm just going to throw this in. I don't, I, I don't think I ever throw this in during the time of Purim. Do you know why Israel went into Babylonian captivity? You know why Israel's enemies defeated them it tells us in the book of malachi they quit they quit um paying their tithe they quit uh keeping first fruits and they quit keeping shemitah now once again shemitah is every seven years you set the land aside only in israel we don't do this anywhere else but every every seventh year the sabbath year you set the land aside but israel was so blessed and so victorious so prosperous, 
so powerful that they got to the point of saying, we don't need God. Kind of sounds like America, doesn't it? Come on. Now, remember, in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for what? Coincidence. Coincidence. Do you know that this month begins the Shemitah? Every, only happens every seven years. Here we are going into Shemitah this month. Here we are going into Purim. Here we're going into Passover. Folks, I want you to know, for us who are paying attention, it's going to be exciting. I'm not afraid. Of, I'm excited about what God's getting ready to do. It's not a coincidence. We're going into Shemitah. We need to get, we need to make sure we're doing everything that God has called us to do. The reason why Israel got into trouble, and that's Malachi. They're back in Malachi. It's called the great assembly. All the prophets, all the sages are together and they're praying, God, how, why, why when we're doing so well, does the enemy come in and defeat us? And the reason is, is if you can see these lines right here, you see this line and that line. I don't know if you can see that. But this is the word of God. And man, we're, oh God, help me. We're staying right in the word of God. But then we start getting pretty prosperous. We start getting, and we start, what do we do? We drift off and start acting like the world. We stop coming to church. We stop reading the word of God. We stop praying. We stop tithing. We stop giving. And why does God use our money? Because where your treasure is, I've never taught this on Purim. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so if you read Malachi, the reason why they're in Babylonian captivity, the whole mess of this, and at the end of Esther, they're back in Jerusalem praying, what do we do? And that's where we get the book of Malachi. Quit robbing God. Now I'm going to throw this in. I believe, our, I, I, this, I never teach this on Purim. So this is by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I believe our most prosperous times are ahead of us. If we're paying attention. If we're paying attention and we're doing what God wants to do. Return to me and I will return to you, America, individual, church, Christianity. How do we return? In your tithes and your offerings. Three times a year we come before the Lord. We don't come empty-handed. But if you look at Malachi, Malachi really is, and I'll get into this during Passover, Malachi is really talking to the church. And so the reason they're in Babylonian captivity is, let, let, me, let me paraphrase it. They took the Ten Commandments off our schools and we let them. They took the Ten Commandments out of our courtrooms and we let them. And now they won't even say one nation under God. They leave God out. So I'm going to tell you something. This nation's going into Babylonian captivity, but you and I who are in this world, but not of this world, are not going to be a part of that. Somebody say amen. Do you hear, do you hear what I'm saying? We're letting them do that. We let them do that. But there's a great awakening taking place. All right, I got to get back to Esther. You can tell I'm feeling prophetic. So Israel is in Babylonian captivity. Babylon at that time is what we call... You can't make this stuff up. We're in Purim. We're going in the Passover. We're in Shemitah. And right now, America is making deals with Iran again. Babylon... 
is ancient, uh, is ancient Babylon is today Iraq. Babylon is defeated. Iraq is defeated. And now the Jews are taking, are taken captive into Persia. Persia is Iran today. <laughs> I could stop right there and let's pray. Now, God gives Israel a prophecy. Israel's in Babylonian captivity. Babylon is defeated. Now they're in Iran, Persia. And God gives Israel a prophecy through the prophet Jeremiah that after the destruction of the temple, after 70 years, God will free his people from captivity and return them to the land of Israel. So here we come, and King Cyrus is the king of Persia. They've defeated Babylon. King Cyrus is not anti-Semitic. He doesn't hate the Jews. As a matter of fact, if you know the story, King Cyrus releases a good number of Jews to return to the promised land. I kind of look at that as 1948, when King Cyrus said, go back to Israel. I'm releasing you. Go go if you want to. About 5% of the Jews in the world are in Persia returned. In 1948, and the Bible says when Israel becomes a nation again, there's that generation will see the coming of Messiah. In 1948, when the Jews were given the promised land back again, guess how what percentage went returned? 5%. A little side note, just to I know I keep getting over in the prophecy. I have friends in Israel that said Jews are buying up homes and lands and apartments by the drove from America and around the world, getting ready for the end times and to return to Israel. Said you can't hardly buy anything anymore over there. It's become so expensive because they see what's what's coming. All right. So King Cyrus is not an enemy of Israel. I've got to say this in 20 minutes. King Cyrus doesn't really hate the Jews. He says, go back and build your temple. But during this time, King Cyrus dies, and the new king, Asperus, becomes the leader of Iran. And King Asherus and his queen especially hates the Jewish people. Now, what you've got to see in the, the book of Esther right here, and I'm trying to say this quickly, is that those who are haters of the Jews at this time have been counting. Okay, Israel's taken out of, the Jews are taken out of Israel. They're in, they're in Babylon. Babylon's defeated. Now they're in Iran, Persia. And the leaders of the country come to the king and said, do you remember hearing the prophecy of Jeremiah? Well, remind me. And he said, God spoke supposedly to the children of Israel through Jeremiah that after 70 years, God will free his people and bring them back and rebuild the temple. They said, king, the 70 years is over. Well, what does that mean? Well, what that means is God's not going to do it. 
Now, when you look at it, God promised the Jews. He defeated the Egyptians. He defeated the Canaanites. He defeated the Assyrians. He defeated the the Babylonians. Every empire has been defeated according to Bible prophecy. But the 70 years are up. The Jews have been forsaken by their God. So the king says, well, that means I'm the ruler of the world, not God. And so he calls for a great party and celebration. Now, the thing that we need to see here is there is a difference in the prophecy where Jeremiah said, I will remember Israel. And then he says, but I will redeem Israel. First, he says, I will remember them. But then he says, I'll redeem them. And the prophecy was not 70 years after the Jews left Israel. The prophecy was 70 years after the temple is destroyed. So when the Jews were taken out of Israel and the Babylonians ruled in Israel, they left the temple up. But 14 years later, when the Babylonians are destroyed and now the Iranians, the Persians, are in charge of Israel, 14 years later, they destroyed the temple. So God's prophecy was not 70 years after they leave Israel. It's 70 years after the destruction of the temple. So all the wise men of the world miss the prophecy now by 14 years. Now, during the time of this king, he was kind of on the border, but his queen, Queen Vashi, hated the Jews with a passion. Queen Vashi was a direct granddaughter, direct descendant, a great granddaughter of King Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar hated the Jews with a passion and God cursed him and he went insane for seven years. Remember? Crawled like an ant. Went insane for seven years. I'm praying that America will only be insane for four years. I'll wait. <laughs> Queen Vashi, because she's a, a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, would make Jewish children do horrible anti-Semitic things all the time, but especially on the Sabbath or on special days. She was vile. Now, the king, because he's been convinced that he's now the God of the world, he's going to rule the world, he calls for this vast party. I think it lasted, what, 180 days, 180 days. And in the party... They had obviously now destroyed the temple of God in Jerusalem, and they brought all the holy implements to Persia, to Iran, and they were using these holy implements of the temple for very vulgar stuff during the party. What's sad about it is that not only were the Persians invited to the party, but the Jews were invited. And many of the Jews, in this case, 2020-21, many of the Christians joined the party. Joined the party. They knew better, 
But they said, you know what? We'd rather be pleasers of man than pleasers of God. And so they're having this drunken, horrible, terrible party. And in that, the king begins... Now now remember, every time it looks like something bad is happening, really it's something good. So here they are having this party. They're celebrating God has forsaken the Jews. And we know that he'll never forsake us. He'll never leave us. They're having this party. They're using the temple, holy vessels. And the king is drunk. And he starts bragging to everybody how beautiful his wife is. And so they're all in, you know, uh, just orgy going on. And they're just, they're just terrible people. And so they said, well, prove it to us. Now, you got to realize, this is back in the days when women were treated in many countries just like cattle. You owned them. It's not like I can brag on Tis being the most beautiful woman in the world. And greater is she that's with me than me. That's... But back then, women were property. As a matter of fact, if you know the story, uh, 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 the, the queen can't even come to her husband without being invited. Part of the story. So he's bragging on how beautiful his wife is. And they're all drunk and they're all, they're all heathens. They're all, they're all immoral as can be, kind of like America's becoming. And so they said, well, prove it. Make her come out and dance naked before us. Can you imagine a husband doing this? But he does it. He calls for his wife, the queen, to come before this party and dance naked for all the guys. Well, she's infuriated, obviously, and refuses to come out. And so the men begin to mock the king and saying, in saying, you can't even get your wife to obey you. And so the king is so drunk and furious and embarrassed and wanting to prove himself, he goes and has his, his wife, the queen, killed. Now, remember, she's reaping what she sowed. And so now the king doesn't have a wife. And so he calls for a four-year search for a new bride throughout all his kingdom. And so they're out there looking for the most beautiful women that they can find. And they're bringing them by force to the kingdom in Persia. You kind of, you know, I have to throw this in. You kind of think about the women today over in that part of country that have to cover their, their, their eyes and they have to, you know, their, how they're treated. Think, think about this. And so all these women come and they're thinking, well, man, I'm going to be the queen. And so they come and they're all dialed up and they're all looking like, you know, they think they're going to get the king. But Esther is hiding. Esther is a Jew. Nobody nobody that's looking for the women are thinking about that but Esther makes herself real plain just a normal person but they finally find Esther and 
along with, I think it was 1,400, I think ancient Jews said 1,400 women, they all present them before the king. And they're all looking, you know, like, you know, we're going to sway this guy. And Esther is there just looking just normal, plain, not made up, not dressed up, not makeup up. And the king sees her and he looks by the spirit of God. He looks beyond her outside beauty and is somehow by God's blessing drawn to her beauty that's on the inside. And so he picks Esther to be his queen. Now, Mordecai in the story is a main character in the story. And Mordecai, a Jew, leader of the Jews, also a leader in the kingdom, Mordecai is Esther's uncle. Mordecai raised Esther. And Mordecai tells her not to let anybody know that she's a Jew. Now, there's a plan in this. So during this time, Mordecai is, has leadership within the kingdom, and he hears a plot of two, two eunuchs that were going to poison the king's food. And so he finds this out and saves the king's life, has them arrested and saves the king's life. Now, the king doesn't know it, but Mordecai saves the king's life. During this time, the evil man Haman becomes the prime minister. And and I was going to read all these to you, but when you get a chance, read Esther 3, uh, the whole chapter. Haman is a direct descendant from King Agag. Agag is, if you remember the story, Agag is the people that when Israel came out of Egypt, the the descendants of Agag followed the band of Jews going into the desert, and they would attack the old, the weak, the young, just to murder them. So they have been sworn enemies of the Jewish people. They're the greatest, and their descendants are out there today. They're the greatest descendants of anti-Semitism in the history of the world. Haman is a direct descendant of this. So he's got that generational curse on him. He hates the Jews. More than just hating the Jews, Haman hates Mordecai because Mordecai just does everything right. He just does everything right. And so knowing that Mordecai is a Jew... Haman has a garment made for him with an idol on it, knowing the Jews cannot bow down to any image. And so he goes to the king and he says, King, you know, I think the people need to show you more reverence. And the king says, well, yeah, that's a great idea. What should we do? Well, let me, wherever I go, be, because you're, 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 in, the, you're in the castle, Let me go wherever I go, be your representation. And wherever I go, 
people, when they see me, need to bow down as if they're bowing down to you. And of course, this guy's a heathen. And so he goes, yeah, that's, that sounds like a good idea. But Mordecai, uh, Haman had a plan. He had an idol on his, on his clothing, and he knew that Mordecai would not do that. And it was a trap to get Mordecai in trouble with the king. So Mordecai is standing at the gate. Haman comes out. Everybody's bowing down, and Mordecai wouldn't do it. Haman says, you bow down to me. He said, I can't, because I cannot bow down in the presence of any graven image. So Mordecai, uh, Haman, knowing this would happen, he goes back to the king, and he says, Mordecai is a Jew, and no Jew will bow down to you as the leader of this country. And so the king, dealing with all these different things, it's not just one issue he's dealing with, he's dealing with a thousand different things. He said, well, come up with a plan what, that we should do. And so he's doing this, and Haman goes, well, why don't we kill all the Jews that won't bow down to you? He goes, okay, that's a good idea. But he doesn't know that Esther's a Jew. Now this is Haman's plan all along, is to kill the Jews. Remember, he's a direct descendant of Agag. Now, this is where the word parim comes. He says, when should we do this? When, when should we do this? And so he takes the dice and he casts the lots. And when they roll out, it comes up one, three, three. One, three, three is the numerical value of the name Agag. And so he looks at that and he said, it's a sign. God is done with the Jews. God is done with his people. And, and I'm going to kill them. And this, this is a sign from God is, that I'm going to do it. But what he didn't understand is that on the surface, it looked like Agag was winning. But when you turn the story upside down, it comes out 644. 133 is the numerical value of the enemy of God's people. But when you turn it upside down, 644, that is the numerical value of King David, which our Lord and Savior came from him. And so, and also, this is, 644 is the numerical number of the death of Moses. Excuse me. 133 is the numerical value of the death of Moses. And so he said, well, look at this. But 644 is the birth of Moses. So this day is not the death of your best. This day is the birthing of your best. Amen. All right, let's go on. I got three minutes and I'm not going to finish in three minutes, but I'll I'll come close. So they're having this party. Esther's, uh, the, the queen is dead. Esther becomes the queen. Haman sets up Mordecai. Mordecai won't bow down. So through that of Mordecai, all Jews are condemned to death. This is when Mordecai comes to Queen Esther, and we read, turn with me. This is where we, well, I'll just say it for the sake of time. Mordecai comes to Esther and says, Esther, this is what you've got to do. You've got to make a stand. And I really think that that's what God is saying to all of us right now. 
It may not seem convenient. And I'm seeing a lot of Christians and I'm seeing a lot of pastors go the wrong way. They're kind of standing up with the king instead of standing up with the king of kings. I'll be honest. But look at what Mordecai said. Listen to what Mordecai says. And we usually just skip over this. And we usually just read, Esther, for such a time as this, are you in the kingdom? And we think of the kingdom of God, but she was in the kingdom. And you got to remember, what Mordecai was asking her to do was, number one, go to the king. Anybody that walked into the presence of the king thinking that he had so much power could be put to death by walking in his presence without an invitation. So one, she was risking her life. Two, she had to reveal that she was a Jew and he had signed a decree that all Jews must die. And once he signed it, even he couldn't reverse it. That was the law. But Esther says, I don't know about this. Look what Mordecai says. Don't think by not standing up, you'll escape. Or your family. See, we don't usually listen to that part. Don't think by not standing up, you or your family will escape. Because if you don't do it, and here's the other part, God will raise somebody else up. So in other words, God's going to bring a miracle. God's going to bring deliverance. God's going to bring an answer. So you can either be part of God's answer or you can not do anything and be destroyed. So Esther, we think of Esther as, she goes, well, that makes, we we think about, oh man, she's so brave. No, look at how Mordecai put it. If you don't do it, God's going to, somebody's going to do it, but you and your family won't escape. Well, I'm going to do it then. And I'm, can I be honest with you? You know, when they're going, when they're attacking anybody that's saying anything, and we're on television every day around the world. Every single day we're on television. And there's times that I get this thought in my mind, just don't say anything right now. Just don't stir the waters right now. I'm going, you know what? They didn't kill Jesus because they liked what he was saying. Right? They didn't cut off John the Baptist's head. And not that that's not going to happen to me. I'm, I'm going out with a shout, and so are you. But we got to be people that in love and understanding and compassion, we stand. We, we don't bow down. We stand. Right? And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if we stand in the middle of the fire, guess who shows up with us? Hey, king, how many did you throw in there? Three. But I see four, and the fourth one looks like, and he never even seen it. The fourth one looks like the son of God. I'm telling you, when we stand during these times, we stand in love, but we stand in righteousness. The Son of God's going to stand with us, and people are going to recognize that he's with us. Amen? And so Esther says, okay, I'm going to do it. Get everybody to pray and fast. So everybody prayed and fasted. So that she could have the mind of God. God, what do you want me to do? And so she got the mind of God. And I'm going to say this very quickly. She gets the mind of God. And so she goes before the king. And remember, just by going in before the king. No music yet. I'll give you a wink. (laughs) Just remember, if she went before the king without being invited, she could be killed. 
So she musters up the courage and she walks into the king. And the, when the king saw her, if I can say it in, in Hebrew, he looked at her and said, hubba hubba. He was moved. And so he says, come here. Oh, I'm so glad you came. And he was so moved. The Bible said, he said, what do you want? Tell me anything, anything that you want. And she said, I want to have just, you're so busy. I never get to see you. You're never home. Can we just have a dinner together? Just the two of us. And of course, of course he, well, let me back up. Let me back up. I'll give you a little marriage counseling. Before she came in, she dressed up. Ladies, we're not complicated creatures. What do you want? No, I'm serious. The Bible's real people. You know, we, we think they're people up and go, no, oh, these are real people. So she, she puts her makeup, combs her hair, bathes. <laughs> he looks at her and goes, what do you want? She goes, I just want to have dinner with you. That's it? I'll give you half the kingdom. No, just dinner with you. That's when I asked Tiz, what do you want for birthday? Just to, just to be with you. She knows I'll buy her anything. Come on, ladies, I'm helping you here. Is it? There's a philosophy here. And she goes, just to, just to have dinner with you, just, just to have some one-on-one time. Well, we can do that. Can you bring Haman? Now, Haman's standing there, and Haman thinks, wow, man, the queen. Now, he doesn't know that she's a Jew yet. He doesn't know. He hates Mordecai. He hates the Jews. But the queen has asked for a private audience with just the king and Haman. And so the king says, absolutely, we can do this. Whatever it is you want, let's do it. And so they've got it all planned. Haman goes home and tells his family, man, you won't believe it. I am, I am in. I'm in. I'm in. While he's doing that, he calls for his guys. And long story short, they go into the king's play, favorite place, this garden, beautiful garden. And cuts down all of the king's trees to build a gallows. A gallow for... Haman are for Mordecai to hang him in front of everybody. So this is going on. The queen has this plan and she has this dinner with the king. Haman is there, obviously. But right before the dinner, the king can't sleep. He's so excited about being with his bride, he can't sleep. And so he's in his bedchamber, and he, he, he tried to watch CNN, but he knew it was all lies. <laughs> I 
And so he has his servants bring him the records of the kingdom, just reading the business stuff. And so while he's reading it, now remember, everything looks wrong, but behind the scenes, what Satan meant for evil, God is using for good. So he opens the book, and he's reading it, he's reading it, reading it, and he sees that several months ago, Mordecai, now he's not even aware that he's sentenced to the Jews to death. He just, you know, it's like when Nancy comes in, sign this, sign this, I'm signing that. Next thing I know, what, Donnie gets my car? (laughs) And so he's not even aware. And so he's reading this book and he sees where Mordecai saved his life when these guys were poisoning him. And so he's so excited about this. And the next day he gets up and he's talking to his servants and he says, Listen, I want you to prepare a a, a celebration for Mordecai, and I want you to get my my horse and my my robe, get my robes out, get get all the good stuff out. And while he's telling them, the the servants go out, and in walks Haman. And he said, Haman, let me ask you something. What if there's somebody in my kingdom that I wanted to show people how much I appreciate him, to honor him, and to, just, to, just to show everybody that what a great man this is? Haman thinks in his ego that the king's talking about him. And he goes, oh, your majesty, I would, I would put him on your stallion, put your robe on him. He's, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I would have somebody walking him through the streets, have your, have your staff in his hand, and have people walk through the streets and, and, and let everybody know, and have the guy leading his heart saying, this is a great man. This is a great man. And the king says, that's exactly what we need to do. And so Haman goes out and says, listen, Tomorrow morning, I'm going to have Mordecai walk me on a horse. And his family was up on their porch, and they had all their trash and thunder buckets. You understand? When the outhouse wasn't in the in-house. True. And he said, when we walk by, I'm going to have Mordecai leading me on a line. He'll be in front of me. Take all the garbage and pour it out on the Mordecai. Like, okay, we'll do it because he's a dirty Jew. And so the next morning he gets up and says, your majesty, your horse is ready. Your robes are ready. Your staff is ready. He said, great. Get Mordecai, put him on my horse, and Haman, you lead him through the town and shout out, what a great man this is. What a great and so he's walking by, his family's pouring everything up on, Mor- on, on Haman instead of Mordecai. So he gets through that, and he hates the Jews even more now. So they have the banquet, and the king is just in love with Esther. We're getting close to the end. The king is just in love with Esther. And he said, listen, tell me, tell me something else. Tell me something else that you can do, I can do for you. I'll give you half the kingdom. And that was before prenuptials. <laughs> I'll give you anything you want. She goes, let's have another dinner. That's it? Yeah, and, and bring Haman too. So they go there and they're at the dinner. The gallows are made. They're ready to ha- hang Mordecai. And the hanging of Mordecai was a sign of destruction of all Jews throughout the kingdom, everywhere. 
Kind of like Hitler. Same thing. When, do you know that on Purim, after World War II in Nuremberg, what was his name? Eric Stryker was one that was being hung, and he's walking up the gallows. He says, Purim, 1946. It happened again. The gallows that they built to hang Jews, they got hung on. And I tell you, Iran needs to pay attention to this. I'm serious. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I will bless those who bless Israel, and I will curse those who curse Israel. We need to pay attention. Amen? And you know what? Let me throw out. 99% of people in Iran are good people. They're wonderful people. They're just normal people. They're just, they just want to live a normal life. It's the, it's the, it's the handful of nuts. It's the handful of the, the Hamans that make it happen. It's the same way, same way everywhere. Same way everywhere. So they come into the dinner. We're closing with this. They come into the dinner, and the king is just, he's just head over heels over Esther. And he said, I, I, listen, I know I keep asking you this. What do you want? Tell me what you want. I'll give you anything. And she says, well, there is something I want. And he says, what is it? She goes, I want you to reverse your order. What order? What are you, what are you talking about? My king, you've ordered to kill all the Jews. And I'm a Jew. The king flipped out what who 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 made this happen how did this happen and queen goes Haman (laughs) the king now understand once the king signed something he couldn't reverse it okay now what happened was the long story short so I can stay on the, the what happened was is that he took all the weapons away from his army gave all the weapons to the Jews they could protect themselves he didn't reverse it he just gave them the ability the power and the strength to protect themselves and they all lived okay but he's furious because he signed a thing and he Haman's standing there going and Esther leaves and goes into her bedchamber goes into her bedchamber to lie down, the king walks out furious and goes into his garden and goes, wait, what? And his garden is decimated. And he goes, what happened to all my cypress trees? And they go, Haman. He built a gallow to hang Mordecai with your trees. The king is livid now. Haman's gone from thinking he's going to be paraded down Washington Street. <laughs> to he's in trouble. He knows the king. He knows the king knows it was him to order his wife to be murdered, who's he's madly in love with. He's taken his precious gardens and turned him into a gallows to hang Mordecai and release the murder of all the Jews. And so King's out there ranting and raving. The queen's gone into her room. Haman's like this. So he goes, I got to, you know, the king will, will do anything the queen says. So he runs into the queen, true story, runs into the queen's room, throws the door open where her bed is, 
trips going in and falls on top of the queen in her bed. And at that moment, the king opens the door and goes, what? (laughs) And marched Haman and his sons up those gallows and hung them. What Satan's meant for evil, God always turns it around and uses it for good. Three years later, Darius is the king. The other king has died. Darius is the the king. Darius is half Jewish because Esther's his mother. He becomes king. And he announces that the Jews were to leave Persia, return to Israel, and start building again the temple of God. That was to the day, 70 years after the temple was destroyed, exactly the way the prophet said it would happen. When everything looks like it's not working out, God on our behalf, on your behalf, on your behalf is working right now behind the scene, doing things that we can. Look at every single thing along the way. Bad, 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 bad. But in reality, on the other side, good, 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 good. It just didn't seem like it at that moment. It didn't feel like it at that moment. But behind the scenes, God was working to turn their story and our story upside down. Let me close with this. God says in the Talmud, in ancient Jewish wisdom, I am here all the time. In Hebrew, it's called vayar. I am here all the time. Not just when you see me. Not just when the sea parts. Not just when the bush is burning. But when you decide to see me, you will always see me. I love that poem, and I I should have brought it, that the guy is in the afterlife, and he's looking at his life as footprints in the sand. Remember that? Remember that poem? It's, uh, I, I, I probably, I won't do it justice. But he's standing with the Lord, and he said, Lord, when things were going well, I see two sets of prints. He says, yes, that's mine and yours. But he said, at the hard times, Lord, there's only one set of prints. Where were you? He said, no, son, you don't understand. Those prints are mine too. I'm carrying you. That's the God we serve. Can I have an amen? Would you stand with me all over the building? We want to pray. I've gone about 15 minutes over, but that's okay. I'm the boss. This is an appointed time where God will do Miracles beyond anything we can ask or think. That's why God commanded us that as long as we're alive, for the Jew and all of us who join them, remember this Moedin, this appointed time. Now, I don't know what your need is, and normally we would do an anointing service, and I know I'm not allowed to do that, unfortunately, right now. But 
even though I can't lay my hands on you, I can lay my heart on you. And I want you to know that when you're hurting, we're hurting. But when you're hurting, God is hurting. But he wants you to know that this is a time to turn that hurt into a halo and turn that story upside down. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know what, Pastor Larry, uh, man, through the COVID and shutting down, and, and, and I'm not just you, that so many of you are watching around the world and they've shut your businesses down, they've shut your ministries down, they've shut your schools down, they've shut everything down. They can shut us out, but they cannot shut him out. They can't. And, and I'm not just saying words. They can't do it. They can't do it. Because the Lord said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there. You may not see me. You may not feel me. But you know I am there to do a miracle. Now, maybe in the way of health, maybe you know somebody that's sick. That God wants to turn that story upside down. You know, you say, well, pastor, you know, they've been sick for months or this or that, or, or maybe it's finances. It's been going on for months. If you, you know, we told the story of Esther in 45 minutes. This took several years. But during that time, God had divine protection. God had divine provision. And then boom, the story is upside down. And you know what they begin to do then? Build the temple of God. When we do this prophecy series, I th- guys, do you know how fast our world has changed? you know how fast America's changed in the last 60 days? Holy moly. That's biblical. Holy moly. But I read the end of the book. We are more than conquerors. Greater is he that's in you, that's in you than anything that's in the world. We need to rejoice, we need to be happy, and we need to know that right now, this is an appointed time. Maybe in your finances, your job, your business, you know, we, we know so many people that are in the restaurant business. So how can God get our, our mom and pop business? Or how can God turn that around? How did God take Haman's noose and take it off Mordecai and put it on Haman. Power of God. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, maybe it's in your marriage or your home or your children. I- I'm going to give you a prophecy. I believe that because of all that's going on, there is a great awakening that is taking place right now. We're seeing it, we're seeing it in salvation response from television. People coming to the Lord. Get ready for your kids and your grandkids, your mom, your dad, whoever. Get ready to say, you know what? The reason why America is so great is because we are one nation under God, and that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Watch for salvation to come. Watch for miracles of bringing families that have been separated, the miracle power of God, bringing these families back together again. How many here, and, and we're praying for you, our heart is with all of you around the world. How many of you here right now say, Pastor, I have a situation or maybe several situations in my life 
You know, we're talking in the back there about the spirit, the, 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 the strategy of isolation. You know, the last place that Tiz and I have been anywhere together besides at home, Tiz hasn't been anywhere at all. The last place we were together was in Israel when they gave me the Lifetime Achievement Award last January. We haven't, I think I've been to McDonald's once or twice in that year. We haven't gone, we haven't celebrated birthdays. We haven't celebrated, you know, at our kitchen table at, at home. Everything the devil has stolen, joy, peace, happiness, celebrations, birthdays, anniversaries, vacations, get ready. Because Haman's going to have to give it back. Multiplied by how much? How much? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I think of, you know, we, we say all the time that we, we lost the first two and a half years of Lion's life. Can you imagine what the next years leading up to the rapture is going to be like with this little guy here? I mean, he is so full of life. But he was in a hospital room for two years. This is, this is, this is not, the top says Agag, but the bottom says David. The bottom says the birth of Moses. The bottom says miracles are taking place. Can I release miracles? You know what? John and Scott said something to me, and I think I brought this up, and, and I've never thought of this before. But, you know, it's always, it's always easy for me, sometimes easier than other times, to see the glass half full. And John and Scott said something. He said, Pastor, we, I, we think God's given you the gift of faith. And I started thinking about that a lot lately. And I thought, you know, that's what a shepherd should have. So that while the sheep are going through it, the shepherd, the shepherds and, and our staff is like, this, we cover you with our faith. Uh, can I tell you one story real quick? It just comes to me. We were doing, when we were pastoring in Portland, we were doing a miracle healing service. And we preached, we prayed for everybody and tremendous miracles. People come up. We did it like Benny used to do when John was ran Benny's ministry and have people, John, come up and testify. I mean, miracles, miracles, tremendous miracles, miracles of healing, miracles of deliverance. People weep and they could feel it. And I remember our green room was that way, Brandon, over by you. And I walked past this way and I went down and I was going to the green room and there was a black lady standing by the door as I was going into my area. Beautiful, uh, African-American woman. You could tell the way she carried herself. She was very successful, just a beautiful, beautiful woman, very successful. And she said, Pastor, can I talk to you? I came all the way from Seattle for you to pray for me. And I said, sure. And she said, I have this business and this and that, but I'm having a hard time with my health and prayed for her right there as we're walking out. Well, we'd already preached. We already prayed. We already had testimony. But she said, would you lay hands on me? I came from Seattle. And we lay hands. She goes, man, it's gone. And God healed her right there. And I remember going into the green room, and I had the guys with me, like Derek does and Donnie does and, and Lan, Lauren does and Lance does. And, and I said to the guys, I said, we need to get to the point that I need God to help me where I can teach that they don't need somebody to pray for them. And God spoke to me and he said, that'll never happen. People always need a shepherd. 
People always need friends and family to lay hands on them. That's why I have that. There's sometimes that even Moses' hands, was it Moses? Was it Moses? Right? Moses. His hands were so weak. He said, hold my hands up. And when they held his hands up, he won. So sometimes we, we're always going to need somebody to say, it's going to be all right. And, and you know what? I have faith that it's going to be all right. So can I cover you with that? But listen, not just all right. When, we, when, when the rapture comes, and I think we're closer to the rapture. We're going to see it in my lifetime. We're closer to the rapture than we know. But understand this. We're not going out limping. You know, it's a terrible illustration, a terrible illustration. I love, you ever see the movie of Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments? You ever see that? I love that movie. I, lo- I, 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 I love Charlton Heston, and, and, but it's not the true picture. You know, it sees Israel walking out of Egypt, and they're dragging dead goats with them. And, no, they left with all the gold. They left with all, Right? I mean, that's a rags are all ragged. No, they left with, take our, they, please take our herds, take our flocks, take, here, take, take off your rags. They're, they're walking out going. Hats tilted a little bit. <laughs> they're walking out looking good. They're styling. As T.D. Jakes told me one time, your gators are so fresh, they're still snapping. They didn't walk out losers. Pastor, you were so holy up till now. We're going out, we're going out with a shout. Are you ready? Lift your hands up. Let's pray this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I release on all those in this room and all those around the world and every place we put the sole of our feet, everything we put our hands to, Father, I release the miracle of almighty God that will take whatever Haman situation we are in, in our lives, in our families, in our businesses, in our finances, in our health, in our our marriage, in our nations, in our countries, in our cities. And I release the power of almighty God. Father, you said... Whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And we stand up in America, and we stand up in Canada, and we stand up in Australia, and we stand up in Central and South America, we stand up in Africa, we stand up in Europe, we stand up in Asia, we stand up in Israel, we stand up in Jerusalem, and we bind the devil that is coming against that spirit of Haman that is coming against the children of God, not only the children of God coming against those who don't know God yet. And Father, we bind that spirit right now in Jesus' name. And Father, we release an anointing. We loosen the power of God on our lives, on our families, on our cities, on our nations, on our world. We loosen the anointing of God. And that God is the God
God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we have access to that throne through the name that is above every name, through the blood that shed away every curse and released every blessing, the blood of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, who is our Messiah. And Father, we bind the devil and we loosen the blessing and we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not someday, but today in Jesus' name. And all those who say today, shout today and give the Lord a clap offering of praise. Come on, come on. Give him a victory clap. Give him a victory.